Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Back in the 1980s, not long after she graduated college, Perry Morgan went to go visit her two-year-old nephew who was sick in the hospital. The rest of the family was dying to get out of there. And I found myself actually kind of not wanting to leave. There was a piece of me that said, I can't do this. I have the personality type to do this. And this is what I want to do. Perry had grown up on a farm in rural North Carolina. She was part of the first generation of her family to even go to college. The idea of working in healthcare was appealing and also overwhelming. I was having a hard time getting my head around four years of medical school and a long residency. And somebody told me about the PA profession. PA stands for physician assistant, although, as Perry will explain later, it won't for long. Anyway, odds are at some point you or a loved one has been or will be seen by a PA in a medical setting. In 2021, there were more than 158,000 physician assistants practicing in the U.S., an increase of more than 6.5% from just the year before. But back when Perry was starting her career, things were different. I'm a little embarrassed for my students who work for years now to get into PA school to say that I learned about the profession in February and I enrolled in August of the same year. <laughs> the PA profession was established in the 1960s, around the same time as its sort of sibling profession, the nurse practitioner, or NP. Like physician assistants, nurse practitioners have become a fixture in most healthcare settings, clinics, hospitals, nursing homes. And their numbers are rising even faster than physician assistants, by 9% from 2021 to 2022. The U.S. by far is the leader in terms of number of nurse practitioners, it's almost like an order of magnitude larger than the next highest countries, Netherlands and Canada. That's economist and physician Dr. David Chan from Stanford University. Like a lot of people who work in and study healthcare, Dave has wondered how this explosion of PAs and NPs could be affecting not only the bottom line, but also patient care. In general, he says, We surprisingly know very little. From the Freakonomics Radio Network, this is Freakonomics MD. I'm Bapu Jenna. Today on the show, we're going to talk about Dave's brand new study on the cost and quality of care provided by nurse practitioners compared to doctors in the emergency department. These implications from that single provider can kind of echo throughout the next month and beyond. Perry Morgan's research has also compared the work of nurse practitioners 
as well as physician assistants, to that of doctors. But she focused on a different type of patient in a different setting and reached a different conclusion. It's a huge public health problem. We wanted to compare apples to apples. The PA profession was created at Duke back in the 60s by Dr. Eugene Stead, who was chairman of the Department of Medicine at that time. And he saw a need for people who could sort of extend the services of physicians. There's a little bit of competition. The University of Washington created a similar profession about the same time. I think most people agree it's Duke. I don't bother to argue about that. Perry Morgan is a professor and researcher at Duke University. She's also a physician assistant, though not for long. We are changing our names to physician associate, but fortunately we're still PAs, so that makes it a little bit easier. The name change was approved in the spring of 2021 by what is now known as the American Academy of Physician Associates. The physician assistant, the term assistant sort of suggests to people, I think, a lower level of skill. And so I think many of us have always wished that They had started off by naming it Physician Associate to begin with. It might still be a while longer until people like Perry officially call themselves Physician Associates instead of Assistants. Changing the profession's title is a long-term, complex process that involves regulators, employers, and state and federal governments. Regardless of what the letters stand for, PAs have become ubiquitous throughout medicine. They work in every state in the U.S., and wear all sorts of hats depending on where they work. They take medical histories, diagnose and treat illnesses, prescribe medication, and even perform some procedures. This variation can present a challenge. It's one of the things that makes this very hard to study as a researcher, because not only do we work in a lot of specialties, but even within specialties, we do different things. So, for example, if you think about primary care, We might be pretty much just like a physician and have our own panel of patients. But some primary care practices use PAs to just see the same-day walk-ins. And some use PAs or NPs to do patient education or follow-ups on chronic diseases like diabetes. And so it's hard to study because if you lump all those people together, you don't get the truth of any one of those roles. The physician assistant profession was created in the 1960s in response to a shortage of primary care physicians. We're now facing a similar shortage, according to the American Association of Medical Colleges. Can physician assistants fill that gap? Should they? What about nurse practitioners? Not long ago, Perry and her colleagues started to think about those questions, and also this one. How do patients do when they're cared for by a physician assistant or nurse practitioner compared to a doctor? They use data from the Department of Veterans Affairs because... The VA in primary care has a patient panel system where patients are assigned to the panel of either a nurse practitioner, a PA, or a physician. Each of those primary care providers has a nurse and other people that support them. So we thought the role was pretty similar. In order to make it even more similar, we limited the study to patients with diabetes in primary care. 
And so we followed those patients for two years. The first year was just to establish that the primary care provider was actually their primary care provider, who they saw most of the time. And the next year, we looked at outcomes and compared intermediate outcomes of diabetes care, which are how well the blood sugar is controlled by hemoglobin A1C, how well the blood pressure is controlled, and how well the cholesterol is controlled in those patients. Why did you focus on diabetes? It's a huge public health problem. So it's one of the most important diseases. We wanted to compare apples to apples. We wanted to compare a similar role for the provider, the PA, the NP, or the physician. And we wanted the patients to at least have some similarities. Another nice thing about diabetes, if you're a researcher, is that it does have outcomes that can be measured in the relatively short term. We don't have to wait and see if people have long-term complications. And we found no meaningful difference among the three groups. Did you find anything in terms of resource use or costs? Yes. One of the other reasons we were happy to use VA data is that you could actually calculate total cost per year per patient, which is very difficult to do in other settings. And to our surprise, we found that, well, first I need to pause a minute and say, I think that PAs and NPs might be expected to see patients who are less complex. So it's very important if you're dealing with a patient who's less sick, they're going to end up less sick at the end of the study, right? We were able to balance for all kinds of things, number of chronic diseases, health factors, but also they have data on socioeconomic factors. So after balancing for those factors, we found that the patients of PAs and NPs actually cost less per year than the patients of physicians. We were surprised. We expected that to be the same. So similar outcomes, but lower costs. Yes. And the difference in cost showed up in hospitalizations and emergency department visits. The patients of PAs and NPs were less likely to have both of those, so they ended up with lower cost. What is your thought as to why you saw lower rates of hospitalizations and ED visits among PAs who were taking care of patients with diabetes? Yeah, we don't know. And the study wasn't designed for that. I'm a PA. We had a nurse practitioner on the team and we had a physician on the team. The physician said, (laughs) you know, when you go through long medical training like physicians do, he said, we're very comfortable with hospitals. In a way, if we're worried about a patient, we'd like to see him in the hospital. That may have just been his opinion. We ask around quite a lot when we presented this work, does anybody have an idea why this is true? It could be residual confounding, meaning that the patients of physicians were still sicker than the patients of PAs and NPs in some way that we couldn't measure and account for. Ultimately, what really matters is, all right, is that hospitalization for a patient good or bad? Because if PAs are not sending patients to the hospital or the ER, and that leads to worse outcomes, then that's a bad thing. But if it doesn't lead to worse outcomes, well, maybe those hospitalizations or ER visits weren't required in the first place. Right. We didn't find a difference among provider types and reason for admission to the hospital or emergency room departments. The other thing that I thought might happen is that physicians often have, and some PAs do, but by and large, physicians have more outside responsibilities. So in addition to taking care of patients, they're teaching, they're running a residency, they're doing some other administrative task, and they might be harder to reach than those PAs and NPs who are just sitting there five days a week seeing patients all day long. And so if you can reach your primary care provider and say, this is going on, what should I do? Should I go to the emergency department? And that provider is available to you and says, you know, why don't you try this first? You may avoid some admissions. Can you imagine a scenario where 
the quality of care provided by PAs and MDs would perhaps differ depending on the medical scenario? Because, you know, when I think of diabetes care, part of the treatment is very protocolized. It's identifying lifestyle factors, exercise, nutrition, other consultants a patient should see, what medications should be used, close monitoring, figuring out when to change those medications. That is a sort of different set of tasks than seeing a patient who comes to you with a fever and you have no idea why they have a fever and you've got to work through that diagnosis. That's certainly true. The other thing is I would take a little bit of issue with your characterization of the care of diabetes patients. Please, please. There's also good solid research that says that the relationship with the patient is crucial to long-term management of diabetes. And so that's going to vary provider to provider. I think the particular strengths that are needed for patients with diabetes is the ability to establish rapport and build a working relationship with the patient. And that might be a doc, it might be a PA, it might be an NP. I think that's a really important point because there is a tendency to sort of lump things together, okay? What do doctors do? What do PAs do? What do NPs do? But at the end of the day, a patient has a provider standing in front of them. What do they think about their diagnostic skills, treatment skills. If there's a problem, do they seek help? This leads into another piece of research we did that you might be interested in about patient preferences. Want to hear a little bit about that one? I'd love to. (laughs) The Association of American Medical Colleges put out a paper, and the question asked to the survey participants was, you need a new primary care provider, and you call the clinic, and you're told that you can choose either a physician or a PA or NP. And to the surprise of the folks who wrote that article, and to my surprise too, actually, 50% of patients preferred a physician. 25% preferred a PA or NP. And 25% did not care. We were very intrigued by that. And so we said, well, next time you do that survey, can you add a question after that one saying who they would choose? The one-word question, why? Uh, uh, Yeah, I want to know that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they did. They asked, why did you make that choice? And the main takeaway was that the patients who chose physicians were more often to mention higher training, specialization, things like that. The patients who chose a PA or NP were much more likely to mention bedside manner and time spent. They felt like they would have a better relationship with the PA or NP. There are some scenarios, though, where a patient doesn't get to choose between a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, or a doctor. What happens to a patient when that patient is as good as randomly assigned to a nurse practitioner versus a physician? After the break, what can the emergency department tell us about patient care and costs based on who provides it? I'm Bapu Jenna, and this is Freakonomics MD. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. 
because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Friday. Set participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. My name is David Chan. I'm associate professor of health policy at Stanford. My background is that I'm an internist as well as an economist. So you have a PhD in economics. Uh, They told me there could be only one. I guess there's at least 16. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to his day job as a physician economist like yours truly, Dr. David Chan also sees patients at the VA hospital in Palo Alto, California, near San Francisco. Not long ago, something happened at the VA that caught Dave's attention. The VA had a directive a few years ago that allowed nurse practitioners to practice independently throughout their whole system. Nurse practitioners, or NPs, are similar to physician assistants, but with some distinct differences. First of all, they're all registered nurses who choose to go on and receive an advanced degree in a particular area of nursing. Nurse practitioners can practice independently in about half of U.S. states. Like physician assistants, nurse practitioners can order labs and diagnostic tests, prescribe medications, and help patients manage chronic conditions. Over the last few decades, we've come to rely heavily on nurse practitioners, and that reliance is forecasted to increase. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, nurse practitioner is the fastest-growing profession in the U.S., and the number of people in that role is expected to grow by 46% over the next 10 years. There's a number of different trends that have happened in the U.S. We have increasing number of patients that physicians need to deal with in this age of efficiency. The cost of healthcare have grown such that payers are looking for ways to reduce healthcare spending and rely on providers other than physicians. And we've got physicians increasingly going to specialties as opposed to primary care, nurse practitioners have stepped in to fill that role. Despite the rapid and sustained growth of nurse practitioners in healthcare, as Dave told us earlier, we know surprisingly little about how effective they are. Do patients who see a nurse practitioner do better or worse than those who see a doctor? It turns out that's a hard question to study. If we were to compare the outcomes of patients treated by nurse practitioners versus the outcomes of patients treated by physicians, these patients might not be comparable. The patients could have different underlying health. And in fact, in the data, we do find that nurse practitioners tend to treat patients that are younger, they have fewer comorbidities, they have a lower prediction of adverse outcomes like mortality just based on their characteristics alone. To accurately measure the effects of being seen by one provider or another, Dave needed a randomizing device, a medical setting where someone may not get to choose the kind of provider they see and where the provider may not get to choose the type of patient. 
We are studying the emergency department, so for our setting, there's some heterogeneity in whether a given emergency department in the VA employs nurse practitioners. In your study, do you compare outcomes of patients treated by NPs versus doctors, or do you do something different? We don't just compare the outcomes. In this paper, we are making use of a quasi-experiment that uses the patient arrival to the ED as a randomizing device. We're using the availability of an NP as opposed to whether the patient is treated by an NP. And you can kind of think of this as you're assigned to an arm of the trial. And what you came up with is this idea that within a given ED, schedules just vary. There may be some Mondays in August where there's more NPs working in a given ED and some Mondays in August where there are fewer NPs who are working, just for random reasons. And patients don't know that when they decide to go to the ED. And so what you're doing is relying on this quasi-random variation in the availability of NPs in any given day at any given hour. And so you can use that to say, what is the causal effect of being treated by an NP? The other thing that I think is very important is that doing a randomized trial might not be feasible or even desirable. What we're interested in is how the patients are actually assigned. A big part of the paper is asking what's the causal effect of being treated by an NP versus a physician. We're actually interested in a bigger question, perhaps more important question, of how best to use NPs in a healthcare system. I think that's a really important point. What are the outcomes that you studied? So we are focusing on several outcomes, and you can think of these as decisions that a provider might make in the emergency department. So the main outcomes there are length of stay and the cost of care. Then we look at the decision to admit that patient or not. Then we look at whether a patient has a 30-day preventable hospitalization, and we also look at mortality. And then when we want to kind of unpack various mechanisms, we also look at specific types of orders that an NP versus a physician might order. So what do you find in terms of cost of care, resource use, and outcomes? We find that on average, NPs use more resources in the emergency department settings. They keep patients longer and they spend more resources measured in dollars. Then when we look at outcomes after this specific stay in the emergency department, look at admissions, preventable hospitalizations, and mortality, we generally find worse outcomes. So for preventable hospitalizations, NPs have more of those on average. And when we look at mortality and admissions, we don't find any differences. But when we look at the sickest patients, we do find some kind of signal in the direction of worse mortality outcomes for some very sick patients, such as those with sepsis and a higher propensity to admit for the sicker patients. And do you find that there are differences depending on the complexity of the patient? So is it the case that there's a small gap between NPs and doctors for patients who are not that medically complicated, but a larger gap for the more complex patients? Yes, and that's a very important fact to highlight. In addition to the fact that we are this emergency department setting where patients 
will be more complicated than a primary care setting. These gaps in performance tend to be bigger for patients that are more complex, patients with more comorbidities, and patients that are more severe, patients that have a higher predicted mortality. What does your study say about cost? Because you mentioned that NPs have higher resource costs, they have higher length of stay, the patients are more likely to be hospitalized for preventable reasons after the ED visit. If you were just to compare the costs of patients treated by NPs versus the cost of patients treated by physicians, there are differences in underlying health and complexity such that you would have lower patient care costs for patients that are treated by NPs. But what we do differently in this study is that we have patients that actually do get seen by both NPs and physicians depending on the availability of NPs. So we find that there are higher costs for those patients. And the second thing that's very striking is that there are large differences in salary between NPs and physicians. And that might have been a reason why it's cheaper to provide care with an NP versus than with a physician. The salary of an NP is about half that of the salary of the physician. But when we look at our quasi-experiment in the emergency department setting, we find that on net, it's more expensive for the hospital to hire an NP than for the hospital to hire a physician to treat that patient. When you study the impact of being seen by an NP on outcomes or costs of care that happen once the patient leaves the emergency department, how does that occur? The NP is not continuing to provide care afterwards. It's a different team, let's say, if the patient is hospitalized. How are those costs coming into play? I think the other striking takeaway is that you know, that single episode of your visit to the emergency department can lead to downstream implications in terms of health outcomes and costs, and that these can be quite large, even though it's a single provider seeing you at that one point in time. These implications from that single provider can kind of echo throughout the next month and beyond. Is it possible that NPs are better suited for certain types of care, for example, better suited for chronic disease management rather than the kind of acute patient care that the ED demands, just on average? Absolutely. Our paper is specifically in the emergency department setting. We can't really say what it would look like in the primary care setting, but we could say that even within this emergency department setting, we see that there are differences. As I mentioned earlier, patients that are more complex that have a greater severity, there is a bigger gap in this emergency department setting. If you were to extrapolate this into other settings, the difference between nurse practitioners and physicians might be much smaller, or they might even go in the opposite direction where nurse practitioners might have better outcomes than physicians when the job is less medically complex and when the outcome of interest isn't something like preventable hospitalization, it could be something like patient satisfaction, for example, or adherence to guidelines. What are the questions that this research raises that should be answered but haven't been yet? I think the most important questions are how should healthcare systems use this additional labor like nurse practitioners and physician assistants, 
given that we have rising demand for healthcare and we don't have the physician supply to meet all of this demand efficiently. And rather than asking the question of, should this patient be treated by a nurse practitioner or a doctor? I think a very natural question is, how best can they both collaborate on the same team for a given patient? Or how should they divide patients such that it's an efficient division of types of tasks to worker skill? I think those are all very large and important questions in healthcare delivery that remain unanswered. The American Association of Medical Colleges insists that by 2034, we won't have enough doctors to treat all the patients in the U.S. If physician assistants and nurse practitioners can help fill this gap, which is projected to be as high as 124,000 physicians across primary and specialty care, it seems like a good time to understand how, where, and when to use them. Here's Perry Morgan again. I think PAs especially, but also NPs, are more nimble in changing to emerging health workforce needs because we don't specialize. All of our training is a basic training. So a while back, occupational medicine was a kind of a new field, and a lot of PAs went into that field, and they could do so quickly. A lot of PAs went into HIV care. The team was headed by an infectious disease doc, but he needed a lot of people. And who can move over and learn that one specific thing to do? You know, PAs and NPs fit that bill. That's it for today's show. I'd like to thank Perry Morgan and David Chan for their time and their dedication to understanding how to best apply the skills and knowledge of nurse practitioners and physician assistants, or physician associates as we'll soon be calling them, to make healthcare better. And thanks to you, of course, for listening. Here's an idea I had based on my conversation with Perry and Dave. When patients are hospitalized at a teaching hospital, like the one where I work, they're often treated by residents, physicians in training. You might wonder if it's better to be cared for by a trainee or by a physician who's completed their training. Trainees have fewer years of experience, which might concern you. But during residency, seeing patients in the hospital is basically all they do. So they become very good at it. It's a hard question to study because patients typically aren't randomized to either group. There are times, though, when fewer residents might be available in the hospital and more care has to be provided by attending physicians. Maybe a lot of trainees are taking an exam that day, or they're on vacation, or called in sick. Could the availability of trainees in a hospital on any given day tell us something about their effect on patient care? Think about it, and in the meantime, let us know what you thought about today's show. Have you seen a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant instead of a doctor? Why'd you choose one over the other? Did you get to choose? Send us an email at bapu at freakonomics.com. That's B-A-P-U at freakonomics.com. Coming up next week, gastroenterology researchers have long wished for a randomized controlled trial to test colonoscopy as a screening tool for colorectal cancer. A few weeks ago, they finally got one. It's one of those, be careful what you ask for, because you may or may not want to know what it says. What does it say? And what does it mean for the future of colorectal cancer screening? That's coming up next week on Freakonomics MD. Thanks again for listening. Freakonomics MD is part of the Freakonomics Radio Network. 
which also includes Freakonomics Radio, No Stupid Questions, and People I Mostly Admire. All our shows are produced by Stitcher and Renbud Radio. You can find us on Twitter at DrBapuPod. This episode was produced by Julie Canfer and mixed by Jasmine Klinger. We had help this week from Catherine Muncure. Our staff also includes Neil Carruth, Gabriel Roth, Greg Rippin, Lyric Bowditch, Rebecca Lee Douglas, Morgan Levy, Zach Lipinski, Ryan Kelly, Eleanor Osborne, Jeremy Johnston, Daria Klenert, Emma Terrell, Alina Coleman, and Stephen Dubner. Original music composed by Luis Guerra. If you like this show or any other show in the Freakonomics Radio Network, please recommend it to your family and friends. That's the best way to support the podcasts you love. As always, thanks for listening. Our budget keeps on going up and up and up. Pretty soon you're going to be in like the radio music tower. What's, what's that called in New York? Radio Hall City? Radio City Music Song? Yeah, I got, I got most of the letters right. Most of the words right. <laughs> the Freakonomics Radio Network. The hidden side of everything. Stitcher. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel walmart plus members save on meeting up with friends save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups that's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier plus members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods plus when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship start a show together with your included paramount plus subscription walmart plus members save on this plus so much more start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com paramount plus a central plan only separate registration required see walmart plus terms and conditions